later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Well, it's wonderful to see you today. It's a delight to be here. And uh, as we're here, Simon is down at Philip Street bringing God's word to them there. But also I got a text late last night from Andrew Ward, who many of you will remember, our trainee pastor here. We were together yesterday at the men's conference to say that their speaker has dropped out this morning and he will be preaching. And I am delighted because without the training he had received here, he wouldn't have been confident to do that. So although our plans and gods are different, our God is always at work. Let me pray. Father, we want to pray for Simon this morning at Philip Street. We want to pray for Andrew as he preaches in Reading. We thank your word is powerful. It is the very word of life. And we pray that you would lead and equip and guide both of these men to preach your word with power and to preach it with clarity and to preach it with love that others might see the Lord Jesus this morning and have their lives transformed by his spirit. Amen. I want you to begin this morning by using your imagination. So don't think you've missed something on the news. I want you to imagine this has been said and declared on the news this morning. That Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un have decided together to launch a coordinated nuclear strike against all of their enemies. There'll be a strike on Europe, a strike on America, a strike on various parts of Asia that will happen simultaneously and will obliterate numerous countries. British intelligence identify this as a credible and real threat. And there is only one hope. They have a device which, if it can be deployed inside the main Russian nuclear facility, it will disarm these bombs, not just for that strike, but forever. 
they will be rendered powerless. The challenge is how to get the device there. How do you get inside a high-security facility full of nuclear missiles? British intelligence think they've found a way in, but they are absolutely certain there will be no way out. For the team that are deployed to put this device in, they will literally be going on a death mission. If they succeed, they won't live to see it. As you'd expect, brave men from the SAS volunteer for this mission. They take the device and under the cover of darkness, they get inside the Russian nuclear facility. Back in the UK, the intelligence team can see them making their way through the facility, but one by one, the vital signs of the team are going out. They are being slaughtered in the facility until only the commanding officer is left. From midnight till 3 a.m., all comms go dark. It seems as if the mission has completely failed. And then just after 3 a.m., a radio crackles. And British intelligence hear the final two words this commanding officer will ever say. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. When in the Bible we read the words, it is finished, the best translation into English is mission accomplished. Mission accomplished, shouts Jesus Christ from the cross. And I want you to know that that is a much bigger deal than if we had disarmed a nuclear strike that would render the whole earth lifeless. What Jesus did is on a bigger scale than what would have happened if that scenario I explained to you in the beginning actually happened. It would be a bigger deal, and it was a bigger deal, even than that. Because through Jesus going to the cross and accomplishing his mission, he changed life, not just for individuals who believe in him, but in time for the whole of this planet. The Bible says that because of our rebellion against God, because of the way that we live in this world as if he isn't there and doesn't care, we live on a dying planet and we are born as dead people. Not alive to our creator, but dead to him. We don't hear his voice. We wonder if he's even really there, because by our sin, we are cut off from him. But when Jesus completed his mission, he dealt with the evil in our hearts once and for all, and he gave hope to a dying planet that one day things would be different. And it's a great omission because difficult as it would be to get inside a Russian nuclear facility, you imagined it. We've seen enough action movies where it happens to be there. But there was only one person who could do this mission. Only one person ever born who was good enough. Only one person who was ever born who wasn't cut off from God by his sin, who knew him every minute of every day as his father in heaven and loved him with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength and loved other people as much or more than he loved himself. 
And it's this one who rescues us. It's this one who goes to the cross for people like you and me, because for us it is impossible for us to save ourselves. You can go to church as much as you like, and it won't make one jot of difference to your eternal salvation. You can pray as much as you like, and it won't make one bit of difference to your eternal salvation. You could give all of your money away to the poor, and it wouldn't make one jot of difference to your eternal salvation. You can become an eco-warrior and try and save this planet, and it won't make one bit of difference to your eternal salvation, because you cannot deal with your sin for yourself. That debt remains before you, and you add to it every day. So I actually undersold this morning's sermon to Paul, and I'm sorry. This is the greatest moment in human history. Verse 30 is it. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Mission accomplished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That, that is the moment. That's the moment that transforms everything. And we're going to look at three very simple truths about that this morning. The first one is this, a moment of victory. Victory, verses 28 to 30. We jived into this story. Some of you are new here this morning. Let me fill in what's happened up until this point. Jesus has been found guilty, taken out, and crucified. Either side of him, there are criminals, also put on crosses, facing the same sort of death as Jesus, but for a very different purpose. Jesus has been mocked by those who have seen him. His clothes have been gambled for by the soldiers that were there. He's seen his mum and the young apostle John And he's put his mum under the Apostle John's care because he won't be there to care for her anymore. And then John simply says, later. Did you notice that? The first word there, verse 28, later. All the way through John's gospel, we've seen John expects us to know two things really well, and we often don't. One is our Old Testament. He expects us to know it like the back of our hand. And he also expects you to know what happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he doesn't just do repeats. He's supplementing what's in those three Gospels. So when he says later, he's missed out quite a lot. And that's deliberate. He doesn't talk about the mocking. He doesn't talk about the darkness that covered the earth. He doesn't talk about Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he assumes we know it. Later, knowing that everything had been finished. How did Jesus know everything was finished? Because from 12 lunchtime till 3 in the afternoon, darkness had covered the land. Jesus had gone into the darkness of God's wrath, his righteous anger against all evil, all sin. And he'd gone into that. And for the first time in his life, Jesus was cut off from his father. Every minute of every day up until that point, he had been able to talk with him, pray to him, know him, with him. And those were the longest 180 minutes of Jesus' life. 
He cried out in the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't feel it the way Jesus did. We live a lot of the time in sin. We get comfortable with sin. We're born in it. And if we don't repent, we'll die in it. But for Jesus, this was a living death. Cut off from his Father in heaven. Unable to experience the warmth of his love. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That's what was happening at the cross. And then, and then, the darkness lifted. And Jesus knew that it was finished. And so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. I don't know how many people you visited who are dying. Part of my job is I do that regularly. I've been there a number of moments when people have taken their final breath. For a lot of people, I'm there in the final days, weeks of their life. It's incredibly hard at the end for people to speak. I visited Marilyn Carr this week and she could speak only in a whisper. Jesus wasn't taking the wine now to numb the pain. He had one important thing to say and one important thing to do. And taking the wine vinegar mattered to Jesus because there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that was still unfulfilled. Jesus saw a jar of wine vinegar was there. It was just there, but it had to be there because a thousand years before, God had said it would be. Get your head around that. A thousand years before, God had said there's going to be, there's going to be wine vinegar there in that moment. And Jesus knew it. Here's the words from the psalm that David wrote. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart. Don't ever think this was easy for Jesus. Don't ever think it didn't hurt in every single way. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Scorn has broken my heart. Words that David wrote that belong to Jesus and has left me helpless. The maker of the universe on whom all life depends is helpless. I look for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food. Ah, there it is, and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And Jesus knew that psalm. He saw the wine vinegar there. The soldiers knew nothing of this. They took a hyssop plant, we'll come back to that, dipped the sponge in it and would have lifted it to his lips. And he swallowed some down to wet his throat, ready for what he would say next. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
Mission is accomplished. With that, he bowed his head and he returned his spirit to God. He chose that moment to die. He laid down his life, and as Paul has picked song after song to remind us today, only to take it up again three days later. And Luke records the words for us that John does not. Don't miss the first words. Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's back in communion with God his Father. He knows that moment is there when he can talk to God again as his Father in heaven. No longer my God, my God, why have you forsaken me now? His Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's done. What did you contribute to that day? What part did you play? What part did I play? It's the greatest moment in human history, but it's nearly 2,000 years ago. What part did you play? I love the story as a preacher called H.B. Charles. He's, I just think it's great. And he tells a story about a boy who visited church. And at the end of it, he wanted to become a Christian. He was convinced that Jesus had done amazing things for him. And in their church, someone like Paul sat down with him and was chatting with him. Just to check, he'd really understood because he was quite young. And uh, uh, the, the guys leading said, look, tell me. Tell me what you understand about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Tell me, what, what have you grasped? And he said, Jesus did his bit, and I did my bit. And the guy was like, that does not sound like the gospel to me. He said, just run me through that again. He said, well, you know, I, Jesus did his, his bit, and I did my bit. And the guy looked worried, but he'd really not understood anything that morning. And then he said, what do you mean by that? And the boy said this, I did the sinning, and he did the saving. I did the sinning, and he did the saving. Brothers and sisters here this morning, even if you're not yet a Christian, this is the good news. Life is so hard, isn't it? Because all the time we're trying to meet a standard, clear a bar, perform for the sake of other people. If you're at school, there are expectations of you which maybe seem impossibly high. Standards, target grades. And you think, won't it be great to be an adult because all that will be behind me? I don't want to disillusion anyone here this morning, but that world does not exist. And Richard introduced me to a guy yesterday who we met for the first time in the men's conference saying he just looks back on his life in middle age with regret at the number of times he's missed the mark and missed the mark and missed the mark. Maybe you're like that here this morning. You're older still. You wonder, have I really met the standard? Have I lived a good life? Do you know that's not the question we need to ask anymore? Because Jesus did it all for you. Jesus did it all. You don't contribute anything to your salvation. That's what makes Christianity different to every other world religion. If you're here today and say, how's it different? In every other religion, you've got to do stuff to get your reward. In Christianity, it says you can't. There's not one thing you can do to earn your reward. It's been done for you.
So Jesus says it is finished. And John carries on from there to talk about the sacrifice he made. In the story I told, the team that go in don't come out. In this story, the man who's on the cross really dies. By John's day, people were saying he wasn't really human. You know, he was sort of like a human, but not really. And John's saying, no, no, no. This is God in human flesh. And I'll tell you what I saw. So he describes it in detail. He says, now it's the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. That's the ultimate religious hypocrisy. That's exactly what religious people do. They care about following tiny rules while injustice is right before their eyes. If you think that's what we're doing here as a church, talk to me. I'd rather close this building down and never come back than be that sort of man. They're sweating the small stuff when they've just killed God. Let's move on. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of the other. They literally took a hammer to them. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. John, as an eyewitness, wants to make it clear that Jesus was really dead. That when the soldiers were sent to him, they broke the legs of the other guys, they got to Jesus, they were pretty sure he was dead, but to make doubly sure, they stabbed him with a spear, and John says, I saw blood and water flowed from his side. There are various medical explanations for that. But he's also making a bigger point. It was the day of preparation for the Passover. One and a half thousand years before, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh had refused to let them go. Ten plagues had struck the land, but the final one was different. God said, unless you let my people go, I will kill your firstborn sons. And the only way you can escape will be to take a lamb, an unblemished perfect lamb, slaughter it, and take a hyssop plant and paint it around your doorframe. All the way through John's gospel, Jesus has been presented as the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. When his cousin John saw him, he said, look there, there is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And in this moment, some commentators say that in the temple, simultaneously, the high priest at 3 p.m. took a lamb and slaughtered it. And at 3 p.m., God Almighty had his son sacrificed for your sin and mine so it could be paid in full. Paid in full. It's the same word that's used for finished. If you had a debt and you paid it off, they stamped it finished. Finished. And so the only question for us is, and what do we bring, is do we accept what Jesus has done for us? This week I've been very exercised by a verse that none of the commentators care about. Verse 32. 
The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. It seems like an incidental detail, but it's not. What you are witnessing there is the passing of two men into eternity. Once their legs were broken, they died soon after. You pushed on your legs up to breathe. So once their legs were smashed, within a few minutes, both these men would be dead. But let me tell you this. They were separated for all eternity. One of the things that John expects us to know is a part of Luke's gospel where these two men have a feature. Luke in his gospel says these words, one of the criminals who hung there held insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Roman soldiers went out and whacked out the legs of both guys. Within a few minutes, they were both dead. One went to hell where he paid for his sin himself. The other turned to Jesus and followed him moments later into paradise. I need to ask you, if you died today, which one of these two men would you see again? You won't see them both. But all of us will see one of them. You'll either share eternity with the thief who mocked Jesus or with the one who turned to him and entered paradise. It's the choice we all face. It's a choice that you can't really delay making because none of us knows how long we've got. And it's a choice you can make here this morning. Because the last thing I want to show you today is you can be certain in the decision that you make. The final words here are about that. John says, the man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies to what? So you also may believe. That's why John recorded these things for us. He saw them. He was an eyewitness. He traveled with Jesus. He saw Jesus on the cross. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he wrote these things down so you and I might believe for certain they happened. He was an eyewitness. And he wrote these things down at great cost to himself. John was severely disabled by the time he died carried on a mat. His message was considered to be so much of a threat, they arrested him and put him on the island of Patmos, where he died. All he had to do was say, I made this up. It never really happened. I'd like to go home, please. But him, 10 others of the disciples, like that squad making their way through the nuclear bunker with no way out the other side, laid down their lives so people like you and me could know this message for sure. We bear the torch that flaming 
fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. One reason. And the second one's this. All the way through, John's been saying, so that scripture might be fulfilled. If you notice that, Paul drew our attention to it a couple of weeks ago. So scripture might be fulfilled. And twice more, just in case you missed it, John does it here because he's blown away. He says, the man who saw it um, has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies, so you also may believe. These things happen so the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they'll look on the one they've pierced. John's blown away by the fact that the Roman soldiers are told to go and break Jesus' legs. And they don't. And in not breaking them, they fulfill prophecy. Because it says that he can't be the Passover lamb if he has broken bones. The Passover lamb has to be perfect. So they don't do that. And then they do something they're not told to do. They decide to poke him with a spear. Just to double check. I was whacking with a spear. Woomph. And they pierce his side. And out flows blood and water. And they fulfill another prophecy. That they'll look upon the one they've pierced, written about 500 years before. They don't know these things. But God's plan is absolutely on track. You're not foolish to believe these things. The evidence is sound. There's no such thing in Christianity as blind faith. It's faith based on evidence. And it's faith that can carry you right through to the end. I visited Marilyn Carr on Monday afternoon. It's the last time I'll see it till I arrive in glory. She had important things to say, but they were hard to say because her throat was so dry. Having battled cancer for months and months, it was about to take her. Her daughter-in-law came in and sat on the end of the bed and she woke up briefly. She was in distress. She couldn't really breathe. It was awful. Her daughter-in-law said to her, who's not a Christian, are you ready to die? Every word counts in that moment. She simply said one, yes. Ray, her husband, then said, Neil, will you then come and pray? Marilyn's eyes stayed open. She held onto my hand tight. Every word counts. She said to me, John 3, 16. They are the last words I will hear Marilyn Carr say this side of glory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what it means when Jesus said it is I hope you can hang on to as Gabriel said in life and in death. A hope that will sustain you through the most debilitating and awful illness. A hope that will carry you through to the end and beyond because no one who believes in Jesus will ever perish but will have eternal life. Do you, do you believe this? Let me pray. Father God, we are amazed that you would love us so much that you would give your one and only Son 
We've spent time now at the cross. We've seen what it cost him and what it cost you to save people like us. Lord, for those of us who know you, we want to say thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you, you, you rescued us. You brought us out of darkness into light, out of death into life. You brought us from hopelessness and despair into a place where we have hope that is forever. Oh, Lord Jesus, teach us to love you more and then to love as you love. And for any here this morning for whom this is new, it's strange, even not clear, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would be at work. These words are living words. They are powerful. May you take that word and apply it to each and every heart in this room this morning. May today be a day of salvation for some. A day where they say, Jesus, thank you. You died for me. Take my life and use it from here on in that I might see you one day in paradise. Oh, Lord, may that be a day for someone in this place even this morning maybe for more than one. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.